0: Heavenly Father, as we look at three of Jesus' best-known parables, be with us today and help us to understand more deeply the Gospel of Luke. Um, reveal to us your heart for us. Uh, teach us these, these words of Christ. Um, give us hearts that want to know what the Lord Jesus said. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Luke 15 uh has a showdown between jesus and uh the pharisees and scribes in the gospel of luke we've talked about the fact that the poor are very emphasized theophilus is probably a wealthy person and luke wants to emphasize that the poor have much to contribute to the christian community you can't look down on them well in Luke 15 there's an interesting scene that's going to kind of balance all of this out where in the first two verses it says now the tax collectors and sinners were all dra- drawing near to it. What type of people are tax collectors? Sinners. Yeah, they're pretty big sinners. They're greedy, they steal from people, they're very wealthy. So there are these really wealthy dishonest thieving sinners coming up to Jesus. Uh, Tax collectors, do they affiliate themselves more with the Jews or the Romans? Romans. Romans, and they steal from the Jews, right? So um, these are Jewish people that really wish they were Roman. Uh, These are people that are rich from dishonest gain, and they're drawing near to Jesus, and also just generically sinners are. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Um, in the Old Testament, eating with someone was a very, very important thing. You're, serve, you're, you're, you're sharing fellowship with them. You're sitting down together as equals. Uh, not just anyone could sit down at a table of a king. Only his family would be able to associate with him that way. Eating with someone is a very intimate thing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you sit down to table with people who are unclean, guess what that makes you? Unclean. Unclean. If you sit down at table with people who worship idols and they serve you food, that food has probably been sacrificed to idols, and you're kind of, in a way, maybe starting to participate in that a little bit. Or at least that's what people might think. The Apostle Paul kind of disagrees in some ways. Um, but here Jesus is having intimate fellowship relationship with people that society looks down on that the Pharisees and the scribes don't like and the Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling against him and Jesus knows this so in verse 3 he's going to tell them a parable which means they've messed up he's actually going to tell them three so they've really messed up And the three that he tells are going to do something really interesting. The numbers are going to get smaller and smaller every time in the parable. So we'll trace this out. The first parable that he told them in verse four goes like this. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So, what's the big number in this story? Ninety-nine, uh, And then the one that's lost. So a total of 100. There's 99 sheep doing what they're supposed to, hanging out with the shepherd like they should. One goes astray. And the shepherd goes and hunts it down and brings it back and then throws this great party because the one that went astray has been found. Jesus told this same parable about pastors in the book of Matthew. Here he tells it about himself. In the book of Matthew, pastors are the shepherd. In this parable, Jesus is the shepherd. There are 99 people doing as they ought. But there's one that goes astray and goes down a a bad road, is far away from the shepherd. But the shepherd goes and seeks and saves those who are lost. And then there's rejoicing. The friends are gathered together. They have a feast. They celebrate the return of this one lost sheep. And Jesus says, just so I tell you, when one sinner repents heaven does what it's like the super bowl right a few few years ago uh something interesting happened and the super bowl was held actually i think it was last year wasn't the super bowl last year held in la and la was in the super bowl the rams so the rams actually had home field advantage for the super bowl that never is supposed to happen but it did last year and it was held in L.A. State. So whenever L.A. scores a touchdown last year, that plays, you know, they, they score a touchdown any Sunday. It's going to be crazy. But they score a touchdown on Super Bowl Sunday in front of all of their fans. And I bet you couldn't hear anything else apart from that crowd cheering blocks away from the stadium. That's what heaven does whenever one of these sinners repents. And Jesus says in verse 7, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, Does anybody need no repentance, really? No. Maybe the way that Jesus wants us to read that is, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who think they need no repentance. The Pharisees don't think they do. They think they're good as is. And Jesus is saying, there's more joy in heaven whenever one of these sinners repents, whenever one of them comes back to the shepherd than over you, 99. So the next parable he tells, starting in verse eight, or what woman having 10 silver coins, so the numbers are getting smaller here, 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Um, The 10 coins are about a day's wage. So if you worked eight hours a day about how much money would you want to make at least hundred bucks all right you'd want to make at least a hundred bucks so you got a thousand dollars and you misplace one of your hundred dollar bills are you going to say well i've got 900 that hundred doesn't matter very much is that what you would do No. you would turn your house upside down until you find the last hundred and and jesus says in the same way that a woman would rejoice whenever she found that lost hundred dollars, I tell you that the angels of God rejoice over one sinner who repents. Scribes and Pharisees see these tax collectors and sinners around Jesus. They're upset about it. And Jesus says, Instead, you should re- be rejoicing, because lost sinners have come back to the lost sheep have come back to the shepherd, and the woman has found these lost coins that she values. But instead, these people. These Pharisees and scribes, they see people coming close to Jesus and they're grumbling and complaining about it. Be the equivalent of if, uh, if, a, if a homeless guy... Did I tell you guys that like, a few Sundays ago, there was this straggler on the highway? I was on my way to church and I saw this homeless guy walking down the, the highway and I prayed just very briefly. said, God, it would be great if, uh, if, if people like that wandered into church one day. No one showed up that Sunday. The next Sunday, there were two homeless guys showed up at church walked in. They were rough looking, right? Whether you want to or not, are there certain times where you see somebody and you look at them and you think to yourself, that person looks dangerous? That type, right? Uh, Pretty obvious (coughs) these guys had been on some hard stuff in the past, whether they were currently or not, you you don't know, right? So, you know, the, the equivalent of what the Pharisees would be doing here is you're in church and a couple of homeless guys come in and instead of rejoicing that these people here are hearing the gospel and hearing the things of God, you think, "Ah, I wish those people weren't here. I wish they were somewhere else. And Jesus is saying, heaven is rejoicing and you should be rejoicing. And then he gives a much longer story. These have just been a few verses, but he gives a much longer story starting in verse 11, the parable of the prodigal son. You guys know this story, the parable of the lost son? And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. When do sons get inheritance from their father? When When the father dies. So what is the son saying to the father? I wish you were dead and i could have my stuff a younger son goes to his father and says father give me the share of property that is coming to me give me my inheritance now is that honoring father and mother but in verse 12 he divided his property between them verse 13 not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey. He was in a hurry to get out of there. It didn't take him much time at all. And he took a journey into a far country to get away from his father. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. I wonder what reckless living means. We know it's not a good thing because in verse 14 it says... And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Pigs are good or bad, usually, in the Bible. They're They're unclean. This guy has gone and lived in a Gentile nation. He's become unclean as pigs. He's seen the food that the pigs have, and he's wishing he could get down and eat it. You ever seen the food the pigs are given? You ever thought, man, I wish I could go over there and say oink oink and start eating it too? Jackson, you've done that? Yeah. You'd have a. You would not be in school for a few days. You would be duct tape to your commode, right? It would not be a pleasant experience. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, basically whenever he got his head back on straight, you ever had that happen? You kind of go crazy for a little bit, start doing things you would not typically do, and you think to yourself, where did that come from? I I remember an experience uh, I had in a youth group once, where a couple of my really, really, really good kids, always listened, always obedient, a couple of my really good kids, we're playing like flag football or something, and um, someone has the ball, and one of these kids goes to block the other kid, and I'm looking at the guy running for the touchdown, and I turn back around, and these two kids are fist fighting. What are you guys doing? I don't know, we just lost our heads says, whenever this guy came to himself, whenever he got his head back on straight, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran. By the way, compassion is. What's significant about that word? It's the most yeah, it's the most occurring attribute of God in Scripture, and and compassion. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Have I told you about that word? It talks about your intestines, your your belly. Uh, if you've ever had an emotional figure, uh, feeling that you felt in your gut. Compassion is similar to that. It's whenever you see something and it moves you so much that you feel it down here. You can't do anything but act. Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned. He has the whole speech rehearsed, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would have gone on and said, please let me be one of your hired hands. But in verse 22, the father interrupts him and says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead, dead and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to celebrate. All right, let's pause. Who is the father in this story that feels compassion and is willing to forgive? And, huh? Uh, Jesus, you could see it as a picture of Christ. You could see it more generally as a picture of, of God. Who is the son? Which son? Oh, we've only met one so far the one that ran off. It's a picture of these tax collectors and sinners. It's a a picture of big, rebellious sinners. And whenever they decide to come home, whenever their minds are cleared, and they decide to come back to the fold, come back to the Father's house, again, as in the first two parables, there's rejoicing. The Father accepts him back. He was dead in his trespasses and sins, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's been found. And it's it's cause for celebration. But there's another paragraph to the story. Now, his older son was in the field. What was he probably doing in the field? What has he been doing the entire time that the younger son was going and living it up probably his jobs yeah probably probably the jobs that used to belong to the other son the older son is in the field probably working maybe doing the the jobs that the other brother should have been doing and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant And the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look. Is that a good way to start this conversation? Look here. These many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might have celebrated with my friends. But when this son of yours, uh, what is he not calling him? His brother. His, brother. His brother. When this son of yours, that's like whenever my boys puke all over me, and then I carrying them like this and I puke all down the front of my shirt and I say to Mackenzie look at what your son did right I'm not whenever this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitute oh now we know what that reckless living was you killed the fattened calf for him and the father said to him son You're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. End parable. What question do you have based on this parable? The story ends right there, but what question does it leave you with? What happened with this older son? The younger son has gone and, and has, has started to participate in the joy of the father. He's gone into the party. The younger son is there. He's been found. And the father and all of the servants are rejoicing and are glad. And the question is, what is this older son going to do? Is he going to join in with the, with the, with the merriment? Is he going to go and reconcile with his brother? Is he going to go and be glad that that which was dead is now alive and that which is lost is now found? The older brother would represent who? The Pharisees, maybe? The Pharisees and the scribes. They're mad that these tax collectors and sinners are eating with Jesus. They're they're upset that that, that, that Christ is rejoicing over them. Well, God, we've served you these many years, and these tax collectors have been thieving, terrible, idiotic sinners. What this text is calling them to is that whenever Christ saves someone, God rejoices, the angels rejoice, and the church ought to rejoice. And those that the Lord welcomes with open arms his people should welcome with open arms and the question that is lost here is for the 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 question that's left here for the pharisees and tax collectors and for the pharisees the scribes and for us the question that's opened for us is are we going to join in with the joy of the father or are we going to stay outside of the party Uh, how does this fit into luke's gospel as a whole well, Luke's gospel is making the case that the gospel has largely gone to what class of people? Hmm? What class of people has the, uh, has the gospel largely gone to? All right. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that first, and then we'll come back to the economy thing. The gospel has largely gone to Gentiles. Who is going to have a hard time accepting that? Church. Yeah, if the Jews are having a hard time accepting this, we'll see that even more whenever we get into Paul's letters, letters later uh, in the year. Are the Jews going to join in with the Father's joy, with heaven's joy, that the Gentiles are being rescued from sin and are being saved? Are they going to join in with the joy and, and welcome those that Christ has welcomed into the church. All right. We've also talked about this from the economic side. This is written to Theophilus, who is either a wealthy person or uh, a name for a very wealthy community of believers. Uh, wealthy people usually like hanging out with other wealthy people. They're going to walk into a church and they're going to see most of the people in the early Christian community are poor people, slaves, and single women are those high or low on the economic totem pole normally Normally very low what does this maybe mean for theophilus as he reads well are you able to rejoice that jesus is saving the people that formerly when you were in your sins you might have referred to as the dregs of society And are you willing to go and welcome those that Christ has welcomed and sit in the house churches with them and meet their needs and learn from them and see them as equals in Christ? For us, whenever the homeless guy comes in off the street or whenever that person that's in class with you that you really don't like starts showing up at church. Anything along those lines, there, there's, there are people that we have a hard time accepting. There are people that we have a hard time welcoming. But if Christ has welcomed them, if they've repented of their sins, if they've been brought into his kingdom, then those of us who are, who are part of Jesus' people have to welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. One other story in Jesus' To Jerusalem ministry that I want to highlight uh, flip over to Luke 17. And at some point, we really need to come back and talk about this whole rich man and Lazarus story in more detail, but we don't have time for it right now. Uh, there's a couple of other stories that I really wish that we could cover in Luke right now, but we need to make sure we're ready for the test. Yeah? Sorry, so the older son are, like, is believers, right? Is that correct? Or what? In the context here, it's Pharisees and okay. and, uh, and, and scribes. And the younger son would be these tax collectors and sinners. So is the middle of that circle supposed to be one? Yeah, two or one. I would put two here because it's kind of the two sons. Um, Jesus is making things more specific in these three parables as he goes along. It's almost like he's kind of honing in on the. You see how it kind of makes like a bullseye thing? Um, Pharisees, right? Kind of honing in on them, making it smaller and tighter as it goes. Uh, somebody read for us Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to, Jer- to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. What a big story to find here. How many lepers? Ten. And the one that comes back, the text mentions that guy's a Samaritan. He's a foreigner. And what is Jesus kind of implying about the other nine? They won't actually be. They were well, they were, they were cleansed. Um, Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? It's kind of like he's singling that oh, guy yeah, out as the foreigner. Yeah. yeah, the other nine are Jews. I guess since they're all lepers, it's like, ah, we're all really unclean, so I guess we can hang out with a Samaritan now. I don't know. That's a little odd to find here. But the other nine, we're supposed to understand they're Jews, but whenever the ten of them are cleansed, only one comes back and worships. Only one comes back and has faith in the Lord Jesus, and it's one that is from Samaria. The other nine, the text seems to imply, don't do it. So... Again, another place in Jesus's to Jerusalem ministry uh, that is only found in the uh, gospel of Luke and another place where uh, it's holding up a non-Jewish person, as an example. Um, there's a lot more in Luke that we could go over. Um, there's this very interesting text in uh luke 13 about a tower falling on people and jesus thinks that's very important um i heard a i heard a sermon one time at brian on that that was fascinating uh the rich man and lazarus story is very intriguing um your memory verse this week i believe is the parable of the tax collector and the pharisee where if you read that entire story in luke 18 you guys have 18:13 as a memory verse correct yeah, um, there are two people in the temple. One is a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. And the Pharisee is standing up looking at heaven and he says, God, I thank you that you've not made me like other men, especially like this here tax collector. God, I, I thank you for your grace that I'm better than other people. Is that a good prayer? No. no. <laughs> no. you know, I, it, it is acknowledging grace. That's not a good prayer. The tax collector falls on his face, won't even look up at heaven and beats his chest. And the way that your translations are going to do it is it's going to say, uh, he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In reality, the word the is there in the text in Greek. He says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. What's the difference it should be read the sinner. What's the difference between God be merciful to me, a sinner, and God be merciful to me, the sinner? It's implying that he's just one. Yeah, a sinner. I'm one sinner among many. If he says, "Be merciful to me, the sinner." Yeah, you know, the Apostle Paul will use that language. He'll say, um, "I was the chief of sinners. I was the lead sinner." I was the worst sinner. And that's what the tax collector seems to be saying as well. And Jesus says, which of them walks away justified in the sight of God? Which one of them walks away righteous? The Pharisee that says, I'm thankful that I'm so great. Or the tax collector who says, God, I need your mercy. And Jesus says, the example for you is the tax collector who looks for mercy. The story of Zacchaeus going up the seek him tree is here. Only found in Luke um you guys know that one right the widow putting her two coins in the offering plate or the offering box in the temple and giving out of her poverty whereas others give out of their abundance and she is the picture for you to follow another pro-poor story chapter 21 found only in luke um so hopefully this gives you a little bit of a of a good grounding in luke um also in Luke, remember the whole thing with Zachariah at the beginning, tries to bless the people and can't. He's mute. Jesus at the end raises his hands and is able to bless them and, and give them the benediction. Um, the test tomorrow I've already mentioned is laid out the same as the others. There's matching, there's true and false, there's some short answers, and then those memory verses. Uh, you guys should be very well prepared. The short answers are largely just going through parables like we have on the other test recently. So Parable of the Good Samaritan, Parable of the... uh, Which one did I just say? Parable of the Good Samaritan, Parable of the Prodigal Son. Um, Yeah, you probably want to know the 99 and the coin one. Have some bearing with those. uh, And then review some stuff from Mark as well. Um, Especially review things about the messianic secret from Mark. But everything on the test, we've gone over multiple times, so I think you guys should be good on it. It shouldn't be too hard. So, yes.